0: Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this opportunity to be here together. We ask your Holy Spirit to be with us for one final day. We pray that you would uh, draw our hearts close to you. Help us, Lord, to understand the principles of visitation and follow-up in phase two and discipleship. These are all very important aspects. So we pray your blessing and your spirit be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. So just for the recording, once again, this is Chris Metz, and he's orchestrating our Facebook, social media, and advertising for Jesus on Prophecy. He's going to give us a little bit of a snapshot of what's happening.
1: Awesome. How's everyone doing today? Good. Very good. So, like Pastor West said, my name is Chris, and this year I'm doing the online advertising component for Jesus on Prophecy. So I'm not sure what he's all told you about what's going on, but uh, we're actually running Facebook, Instagram, Google search and display and YouTube ads for Jesus on Prophecy this year. We're doing a series of videos where uh, Pastor Wes has uh, been in those videos with Jermaine Gale and also Judy Ramos. And uh, how many of you guys have seen any of those ads show up in your newsfeed yet? Very good. Well, praise the Lord. It's working. So... um, what what you'll notice is that there's multiple ads, right? There's multiple videos, and we've done that by design. What's happening is we're taking people through a process where they're getting familiar not only with this idea of Jesus on prophecy, but they're getting familiar with uh, you know the organization that you know is putting this on. People are actually seeing you know people, not just a billboard, not just a flyer, right? They're seeing people interacting with them, sharing them information about. You know, for example, why does God allow suffering, or how do we know Jesus is actually coming back, and things like that? So it, it builds rapport with the audience and positions, you know, Jesus on prophecy as something that's credible in the community. People are actually seeing that, uh, you know, this organization knows a lot about the Bible; they know a lot about Bible prophecy, and so because of that. When we start putting up all the billboards, you guys are starting to send out you know, mailers hanging up the, the hangers on the doors, people now have one touch. You know, They've already seen some of the ads show up in their news feed or on YouTube or something like that. So they're a little bit more familiar. They're warmer to the idea. So when they get that invite, they're warmed up and they'll respond a little bit better. So that's the whole idea behind it. Now you guys can be doing this from your local church too. Um, you know, I'd encourage you guys as site leaders or as pastors who are leading this out... That uh, you can also create some videos. You know, give them a little bit of context of you know who you are and what you're doing, and uh, give them some little spiritual nuggets. Show them that you know what the Bible says on these various subjects. Right. You're positioning yourself as an influential person who will now be speaking at the seminar. So when they receive the flyer in the mail, it's not just a random flyer, but it's a personal invitation from you. Right. So that's the whole idea behind it. And um, we praise God for the conference and for putting on this amazing initiative. We're hoping to, uh, you know, win a lot of souls this year. So we uh, ask that you would continue to keep the campaign in your prayers as we're uh, continually executing it. So any uh, specific questions or?
0: You're going to be doing the, the free. Oh.
1: Very good point. So we're going to be having a webinar coming up. Um, we're going to be doing that on July 10th, and that'll be at 10 in the morning um, I want to say from 10 to noon, but some people may have some questions, so we may stick on a little bit longer than that. So we're actually going to be covering how do you set up these you know, Facebook ads, how do you get your video out in front of your community so that you can start building that relationship with them. So uh, Pastor Wes has a link to that, he can send that out to you guys, and uh, I'd love to see you guys on there. So, yeah.
0: Is it going to have, we weekend because i got to work, okay. you know, so I can't join yeah. the webinar yep. and drive a truck. We're going to be recording it. <laughs> Okay. Yep. And uh, then we'll post the link so you'll be able to watch it anytime. I mean, if you can join live, that's great. But that is a unique time for a lot of people, so we realize that in July, no time is really a good time. So yep. we're yep. trying to get it done early enough that people can go back and watch it and then do their hands.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Yep. And so I'm also doing a seminar in the mornings over in the administrative building, and we're talking about Facebook ads uh, in this context, too. So yeah. more than welcome to come check that out as well. But thank you. All
0: right. Thanks, Chris, so much. And um, we look forward to seeing on the board. Tell us quickly, you said you already have over 1,000 likes on the Facebook yeah, so, page. Yeah, so
1: we have over 1,000 likes on the Facebook page. Um, i don't i haven't looked in the dashboard today to see how many people we've reached in total but we're reaching thousands of people with these ads you know across all these different platforms so far so the awareness is there you know the awareness is there and uh you know we're we're going for conversions so people who are registering and um all of that good stuff so
0: yeah Amen. Well, thank you. so uh you know i don't think we've ever done advertising this far out in advance and you know Years ago, you used to try to get your handbills, you know, you used to try to send them. If you were starting on a Friday night, you'd try to get them in the home during the week after the last Sunday, before the Friday that you would start because the Sunday pastors would stand up and talk about it. I mean, that still goes on some, but it's not nearly as much. The majority of people, thank you, Chris, the majority of people have not heard of... <laughs> Seventh-day adventists They've not heard of these, so they're more open than they ever have been before. Even, I mean, there are many pastors I've even heard uh, recommending and encouraging their members to go to the meetings. Uh, some still discourage people, but some encourage. So, you know, I, I think we're in this day and age, if you want to compete with everything else that's out there, you have to hit it hard and long. So, somebody had a hand up a minute ago. Yes. Oh, he answered it. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, let's dive in here to our subject for today. Follow through. And I've I've talked a little bit about this at some of the trainings, but it is very much worth doing it again. And if you've heard it before, bear with, because, uh, you know, I, I found that sometimes people will say, well, I've already heard this before. But then they're not actually doing it. (laughs) You know, something you've heard is only effective when you actually begin doing it. Does that make sense? (laughs) And, uh, you know, we've heard the message of the Bible all of our lives, but we're not fully living up to what the Bible says. So let's talk about this a little bit. Just a couple of quotes here. Evangelism, page 336, um, it talks about what happens after the meeting. It says, The laborers who may come in after an interest has been created may be men or women who have less ability than those who have started the work." So this is a very interesting point that I want you to notice here. That many times whenever we do evangelistic meetings, Unlock Revelation, Jesus on Prophecy, whatever you've done in your local church in the past, we do all this labor ahead of time. We're maybe, you know, preparing and organizing and et cetera and we have the meeting and then after the meeting, what do church members typically do? Yeah. Oh Lord, we made it to night 25. We're done. Now it's time to take that trip to Hawaii or wherever, right? They say, now I can get my life back. I can I can get back to my have my evenings back and get to watch my favorite television program again. But in reality, in reality, we ought to actually be exerting. At that point, even more energy, more focus, and more work in laboring for those people that have come to the meetings. Did you realize that? And many people think that, oh, it's the, it's the evangelist's job to do that. But notice what she says right here. The laborers who may come in after an interest has been created. Interest has been created is referring to meetings. Remember, meetings aren't just harvesting, they're also What? They're also sowing, right? Maybe men or women who have even less ability than those who have started the work. Who's the one that started the work? That's the evangelist or the speaker, right? So who then are the men and women who have less ability than those who have started the work? Now, that doesn't necessarily mean you have less ability, but it just means you're not the speaker. So it's talking about the church members who are left behind... Who are not the speaker, but when the speaker leaves or the speaker is done, that it's that time for those people to come in and do a work that can't be done by the speaker. Yes? Absolutely. You, You got it. If we have already done our job before and during the meeting, then we're already connected. We're already attached to those people, right? And so we need to be drawing close to them during the meeting, but not abandoning them after the meeting, right? Notice what she says here. She goes on, but if they are humble men of God, anytime she says men, she's talking about mankind, people. So don't become caught up in that, okay? They may present the truth in such a way as to arouse and impress the hearts of some who have hitherto been untouched. So there might be somebody that has come through the meeting that apparently made no decision, has not much interest, but the so the evangelist leaves. But then that person who's left behind, the church member, comes along and begins to share with them and and, and encourage them and study with them, and now their hearts become touched. Isn't that interesting? So don't think that it's the speaker who does all the magic tricks or whatever to uh, and whoever's not there. No, you can actually. Drum up interest when the speaker is done. Very powerful thought. The Lord reveals truth to different minds and different aspects so that through one man's presentation, some point of truth is made clearer than through another man's presentation. And for this very reason, the Lord does not permit one man alone to do the work of dealing with a human mind. So in other words, the evangelist is not the only one. But if the people, if the members work with the evangelist, How many of you think that powerful things can happen? You could have twice the results, right? Now, I'm not just saying this to you as the coordinator so that you will know this alone. But you need to be reminding who? Huh? You need to be reminding your churches as you are training them and preparing them for the series of these things. That it is of vital importance. I mean, if I were you, I would not be just... Speaking these things to the church on Sabbath morning. I mean, I would be. But then I would ensure that I have at least a, a minimum amount of people who are committed to this. You, you understand what I'm saying? And I would go to them and recruit them personally. You could pass out cards to the church and ask them if they would, who would be interested in, um, you know, doing this follow up work and that kind of a thing. So, very important. She goes on, our efforts are not to cease because public meetings have been discontinued for a time. So long as there are interested ones we must give them opportunity to learn the truth. And the new converts will need to be instructed by faithful teachers of God's Word that they may increase in the knowledge of the love of the truth and may grow to the full stature of men and women in Christ Jesus. They must now be surrounded by the influences most favorable for spiritual growth." Notice that, once the public meetings have been discontinued, really that's just the beginning. They need to be what? Surrounded by the influences uh, that are most favorable to spiritual growth, which is what? Or rather, who? It's you. It's me. It's everybody. Notice what one more she says here. Much depends upon the work done by who? Doesn't say the pastor, does it? But it says the members of the church in connection with and following the tent meetings that shall be held in our cities. During the meeting, many are convicted by the Spirit, may be filled with a desire to begin the Christian life, but unless there is constant watchfulness on the part of the workers who remain to follow up the interests, again, who's that? (laughs) That's the PIM members, right? The good impressions made upon the minds of the people will become indistinct. So in other words, you could have Mark Finley, you could have Doug Batchelor, you could have John Bradshaw, You could have Sean Boonstra or whoever else doing your meeting, but if they come in and and leave and, and the work of the members is not done, it doesn't matter how good your evangelist is, it's not going to be nearly as effective. You see that? So where's the greatest work lie? It lies in the hands of the members. The enemy, full of subtle reasoning, will take advantage of every failure on the part of God's workers to watch for souls as they must give an account. Now, how do we gather up the fragments? You know, when Jesus, I usually will, but for sake of time, I won't. I usually talk about the story of Jesus feeding the five thousand, and then they had fragments left over, and and Jesus said, "Gather up the fragments," and they put them in the baskets, and there were twelve baskets, right, one for each uh, disciple. Yes. And so how do we gather up the fragments at the end of the meeting? Well, number one, we want to faithfully continue and attend the phase two meetings, right? Don't just think, well, the main meetings are over, so we're done. So now we can go on to back again, uh, once again, back to our own lives. But there is a phase two. It's typically slower. It's typically less intense, maybe one or two nights a week. We want to continue faithfully attending that and encouraging our visitors to to attend that as well, correct? We want to invite them to come. Number two, we would baptize, clear and baptize those who are ready. Number three, assigning mentors for new members even before they are baptized. So every new member ought to have a what? Mentor. And they begin going through what? The discipleship handbook, Right. And then for those that have not uh, been baptized, there will be Bible study, follow-up, and then hosting a special weekend uh, in the new year following Jesus on Prophecy. Now, it's an important thing that we kind of categorize those people that have come through our meetings. And how do we categorize them? I talked a little bit about this the other day when, when you're actually in the meeting, but what about after the meeting? Here's how we prioritize in categories. Number one, those who are still faithfully attending. Those who make it all the way through. Those who start to come to phase two or the second piece, or the second leg of the meetings. Those people are obviously still our number one what? Priority and number one interest, right? Secondly, I, I want to keep looking at my list of interests. I have my list of interests And I see that there are those who have come all the way through. And then there are those who maybe came to about half. Maybe they came sporadically. So those who came to half or two-thirds of the meetings, but might have missed some key topics. I want to go back and visit with those people. And I want to connect with them and try to study the subjects with them that they have missed. Right. So I'm trying to connect with them. Setting up a time to begin personal Bible studies while still encouraging them to come to phase two. All right. Number three, those who came faithfully in the beginning but fell away. I told stories about this, but I've had numerous people who come for like the first week of the meetings and then they just drop off the face of the earth. And, you know, I've tried to reach out to them, and they're not available. You can't get them. You go to visit them, and they're, and they're gone. They're, they're not at home. Um, you know, I just keep at it until finally I catch them, and they say, Oh, yeah, I remember coming to that. And, uh, you know, they say, Yeah, but, you know, I had to go out of town, or I had to work a month of second shift or whatever, and I haven't been able to come. But, yeah, I'm still interested. I'd like to finish that series. Right, So then I can get them the materials and they can watch the DVDs or they can watch the, or listen to the CDs. And I've had many people whom I've baptized by doing that. Don't just assume that if they stop coming after a week they're not interested. There are things that happen in their lives. There are situations and scenarios that Satan will stir up in their lives that <clears throat> will try to hinder them from coming. So keep after those people. Make sense? I had one lady that told me, she said uh, one time, her name was Catherine, when I was in Traverse City. And she told me ahead of time, she was there every night. She said, you know, Pastor, uh, after this week I won't be here re- uh, till the rest of the series. till the very end, she said, because I have to go out of town for three weeks. She says, but I'll be back. I want to I come. And I, and I thought to myself, oh yeah, I've heard that line a hundred times. And there will be a lot of people that will say that kind of thing and you won't see them again. But, you know, sure enough, she got back and she came back the night after she got home from her trip. And after the meeting, she finished the meetings. And after that, I studied with her all the subjects that she missed. And she was baptized, very faithful. She actually gave up a very high paying job because they wanted her to keep this work on the Sabbath and she wouldn't do it. And so the Lord really blessed her. And so you can gain those interests and, you know, it's it's amazing how much, when you keep going back through, how much you can gain. Number four, those who came a few nights to a week. Now, if they came only a first few nights, I'm not following up with those people right away. But as I've worked through the other names, and I'm now out of names, I need then I go back to those people and go follow up with them again. Number five, those who came only one night. I mean, sometimes... People have no interest, and, and oftentimes there's not a whole lot of fruit there, but you can find people that, that are interested. I mean, sometimes they come one night and they're not real interested, but between then and the time you visit them, something happens in their life, and you know they're more open now than what they were, or maybe they just weren't interested in that, but they'd be interested in some other type of Bible studies, and you never know, but you want to make sure that every single name on your list will fall into one of these five categories. And you want to make sure that you are following up with them. And I don't give up on, pe- <clears throat> on people until they tell me, look, uh, thank you, but I'm not interested. Okay, I, I diligently follow up on those people and, and, um, and pursue them. So what do we do with them? Well, the first thing I do is I'll, at the end of the series, I'll mail them a letter. You know, you remember how often do they get a letter during the meetings? Every single week, right? Then at the end of the series, I mail another letter offering them free Bible studies and inviting them to phase two. Now, a lot of the letters fall on deaf, you know, hearts, but nonetheless, they're getting the letters, right? And I offer them a free Bible study course, and I include a Bible study offer card and a way that they can mail it back or go to the website. I, don't, I like for people to have multiple options of responding, not just go to the website. So I put in a card, I may make my own card and put it in there, and then they can, they can just mail it back to the church's P.O. box or whatever, Um, And then those people, obviously, I follow back up on. And you may get, if you have have 20 people that have attended your meeting, you may get two or three or four of those. But nonetheless, go follow them up, right? The second thing I do is if I don't hear from them that way, I go visit them. (laughs) And uh, I offer them the same thing. And I start at the highest on the priority list, and then I work my way down. Those five categories I just showed you. This presentation is on the Jesus on Prophecy website, so you can download it. It's there already, okay? And so you don't have to stress about taking notes. I see some of you just scrambling. It's already there. The website, the website, the website. Amen? All right. Thirdly, I'll put every name on the church interest mailing list as well as the church email list. Well, why do I do that? Very simply, because every time we host an event in the future, what do I want? I want to invite them, right? And you'll find that people will come. If they ask me to take their name off, I take it off. But um, I put it on there, so at we, least at first. Should we wait until after the series to add the interest names? Well, I mean, you could add it. Yeah, I would wait, actually. I would wait. Because if you're sending out other stuff to the church, you don't want that to interfere with what they're, you're trying to do during the meetings. I wait to the end um and then uh you know whether it's a health event or vbs or you know parenting seminar whatever you're doing i always invite them to that and that's how you build that interest list then in uh, next year if you do a reaping meeting what are you going to do you're going to invite all those people right so that interest list just continues to grow right and eventually you just keep collecting those names now you know, people will move and you'll have letters that come back and you just kind of keep up with that and I take that off, take them off as they come back. But, um, you know, your personal ministry uh, leader or your interest coordinator should be the one that's monitoring that interest list, okay, and keeping it up. You can do it in a spreadsheet, you can do it in, uh, you know, disciples or however you want to do it, but keep up with that. We need to really, eventually it costs a lot of money, but we need to either really find a a really good interest tracking there was supposedly one that was made but uh, we're going to what's that what,
1: disciples
0: well yeah disciples disciples is not bad but it's not bad, but it needs some work there was i forget the one that it was called my 10 or something like that but if we can get our hands on a good one we will and then four i mentioned continue of course sending them invitations to future events You know, in the new year, after Jesus on Prophecy, I like to host a a special weekend. And I'll invite, you know, maybe just a prophecy weekend or something and cover some subjects that maybe you didn't cover in the series um, and invite people to come to that. And you'll find that, you know, you'll have some of those people that will come. And then you make an invitation again for them to take Bible studies. And so it may not be as many as you had at the meeting, but nonetheless, you want to just keep on giving them that invitation. So don't let any pieces go to waste. Amen? Amen? Amen. Make sure that you are following up on those folks. Here's a promise from Ellen White, um, from the Lord, I should say, but Ellen White wrote it in 1901. She says, "...a rich reward will be given to the true workers." who put all there is of themselves into the work. There is no greater bliss on this side of heaven than in winning souls to Christ. Joy fills the heart as the workers realize that this great miracle could have never been wrought by human agencies, but only through the One who loves souls ready to perish. When you lead a soul to Christ... And you've labored with them and you've prayed for them and you've given them Bible studies and you've or you've preached a meeting and you see someone give their heart to the Lord and come into the church. Whatever that means is when you see the transformation take place in their life, you know that you couldn't have done that. You know, it's only the power of the word of God. You know that it's only the, the, the living Christ within them that is appealing to them and drawing them and the spirit of God influencing their hearts you know that it is not a thing that you've done yourself. Amen? How many of you have had that experience? How many of you know that, right? But you also know that that you have the joy of knowing that you have cooperated with God, right? You've been a co-worker with Him to draw that soul to Himself. The divine presence is close beside every true worker, making souls penitent. Thus the Christian brotherhood is formed. The worker and now listen to this. The worker and those worked for are touched with the love of Christ. Heart touches heart, and the blending of soul with soul. Listen to this: is like the heavenly intercourse between ministering angels. Now that's an old word, intercourse. It means something different than it means now. It just means fellowship between ministering angels and the bond that you will have with that person that you brought to the truth will be a connecting power that nothing can separate. Amen. They'll become your spiritual children. All right. So, let's um <clears throat> let's talk now a little bit about gaining decisions. Any questions so far um, about the follow up? Yes. I <clears> have. <throat> Um, yes, well, those that have come to the events, (laughs) um, yeah, yeah, and so, um, you know, we had the person, we had the personal ministry weekend that we shared some of this, we had the Jesus on prophecy weekend, we had the rallies, I had a rally at Glaw, I had a rally in the UP, um, I've talked about some of these things with our pastors at ministerial retreat. Uh, so and then all of it's available on the internet. So, if I can do something more, then help me. Yeah. Well, but uh, you're going to be giving them the the stuff. In it's July. all available. Yeah, no. it's all available to them now. Well, the, no, materials. I mean, the materials. Yes. Like, is, yes. Yes. There going to be yes. some
1: training then too.
0: Um. There'll be there'll be some. I mean, the ministerial retreat is. We have a lot, a lot of other right, things right. that happen, so right. it's so it's not always feasible. At Yeah. 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 So, I'm saying that many of our pastors do a wonderful job. Right there is one of them, there's another one back there. And uh, so many of our pastors do a wonderful job of uh, you know, laboring and doing these things. And here's the thing, these are principles. I don't, I don't say that a person has to do it exactly that way. I give you principles and I give you specific ideas. I'm not saying you must do it this way, you must. And so every pastor is going to have his own system, and that's fine. But as long as those things are covered, you know, there's a hundred ways to do the right thing within the principle. So I try not to mess with an individual pastor's system. I give them ideas and principles and things, and we have kind of a format that we follow. But really, it's up to every individual pastor to to work with his team, and his team work with him, um, and do those things. Okay. All right. Any other questions? So that one I just showed you is already there. So I mean like for the and... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the pastors can access it. Now, um, one thing I do want to mention is that for phase two, you know, on the original schedule, I have three different schedules that you can follow for the whole series, right? each one gives at the end a different option for phase two schedule um... and i have the first few days on each one and then just recommending you can go you know tuesday thursday whatever for the next several weeks the content that you use for phase two is up to you i will have on the website soon um, a list of options that you can do but there are many things to ultimately, I want us to develop uh, a couple of our own options for phase two, uh, but that's down the road. We're not going to have it ready for this time because there's just a lot of all these things to do, but there's a lot of good things. I'll give you a couple verbal examples here. Unsealing Daniel's Mysteries by Mark Finley is a very good one. Um, you know, you could go through the millennium of prophecy from Bibles that we use it for Bible study. Offer you could just watch those videos, and let people go through the lessons. Um, you can do, um, you know, this. We've done this before in Unlock Revelation. The seminars unlimited, uh, study guides. Those are very nice. It doesn't always have to have a video or a PowerPoint. Um, you can, you know, you can just do have somebody teach those. Uh, You can go through the Discipleship Handbook with people. Um, So there's lots of different options out there. There's lots of video series out there now. But I encourage you to make sure it's something where they can review the biblical teachings that they learned during the series. You know, it's very important that they get that a second time and it's repeated to them because in an environment where they can begin to ask questions and not just kind of sit through a seminar, but that it's more interactive because people, you know, if you have round tables or small group or however you want to do it, but make sure that people have that opportunity to ask. And don't be afraid of those questions, but engage them and talk to them and and um, and answer those questions from the Bible, okay? Um, and make sure that they're interested. I mean have you know have some some popcorn and juice and that kind of thing. It's not a sin to do that kind of stuff. Um, you know, if if I had it my way. All the church pews in every church would be burned. Now, Harry, I don't know how you feel about that, brother. But I would burn all of them. And we would have those chairs that hook together. You know what I'm talking about? A lot of churches have those. And when we did an evangelistic series, we'd put round tables in the sanctuary and we'd put everybody there and we just we might even do church that way. I mean, there's no thing in the Bible spirit of prophecy that says everybody has to sit in rows mean um, You can have small, so there's interactive fellowship together. And, uh, and so, you know, try to do that if you have the, the ability to do those tables. Uh, they're much more uh, conducive for that interaction that you want. Alright, let's talk a little bit about decisions for a little bit. Um, I have here on this slideshow probably about, I would say seven or eight hours worth of classes. So we have about uh, 25 minutes to get through. So I'm going to go through some of the most important things, okay? Uh, but just a quote here from Steps of Christ. She says, Many are inquiring, how am I make to make the f- surrender of myself to God? Desires for goodness and holiness are right as far as they go. But if you stop here, they will avail how much? Nothing. Nothing. Many will be lost while hoping and desiring to be what? So if you know somebody that just, you know, thinks or hopes that they're, they're going to make it, we're told that they won't. Why? They do not. I mean, some people say, well, doesn't God just accept the inclination if a person just thinks fondly of Jesus? There's a lot of atheists, I think, fondly of the person called Jesus. But notice what she says. They did not come to the point of yielding to the will of God. They do not now what? Choose Choose to be Christians. That is the difference between a Christian and every other person. And that is the purpose of every meeting and every Bible study... And every small group or whatever else that we do, we are seeking to persuade people to yield themselves to God. You know, every truth that's in Scripture, whether it's salvation, whether it's the Sabbath, whether it's baptism or, you know, joining themselves with God's true church, coming out of Babylon, every topic boils down to people yielding themselves. To Christ you understand this right and and every little truth is just some different nuance of Jesus that he's inviting them to yield themselves to does that make sense and so really when we think about asking people for decisions what we're really asking them to do is yield themselves to Christ you understand and each one of those things get can get very specific so it's typically one of the hardest things for people to do in a sermon, because we don't why. We don't want to do that. We're afraid that, of what they might say or how they might respond, right? I'm going to do this this way so I can do it faster. The most important thing to remember concerning a decision is to what? is to ask for one. Don't be so sure that they'll say no. They might just say what? Yes. yes. Here's a reminder that tomorrow is my wife's birthday. I don't need to be reminded, I know, but just in case I get busy, I remind myself. All right, so I'm going to slip past this. Um, I hate to slip past any of it, but Ellen White here says, Every human being is given the freedom of what? Choice. Choice. It It is his to decide whether he will stand under the black banner of rebellion or under the bloodstained banner of Prince Emmanuel. With deep solicitude, heaven watches the conflict between good and evil. And so realize that most people will never make up their minds and accept truth without a struggle. There's always going to be objections, you understand? Always, always, always. So what is an objection? It is an obstacle that people face as they encounter ideas contrary to their own way of thinking. Do a lot of people have their own way of thinking today? They have their own ways, their own, their own ideas, their own opinions. And never have we lived in an age where a person's personal opinion is more prominent. I mean, one little peon person in wherever, some, one little small town USA, can influence the whole world. I mean, it's mind-blowing. And the challenge with this concept is that everyone thinks they're right... But everyone is usually wrong. (laughs) Most people are wrong because, you know, we have a different kind. We know what is true. So three of the most common objections that people have when they come to meetings, when it comes to certain truths that collide with their way of thinking, can be categorized in three things. I call them the three P's. Pennies, peers, or their pastor. And penny, or you could add even a fourth one, philosophy. Pennies, they fear of losing their job because of, you know, keeping, following God. Uh, Peers, they may have opposition from their spouse or their friends or family. And then they may have opposition from other people or other groups that they're associated with. And so, you know, our job is to help people overcome those obstacles. And to see Jesus as something that's more valuable than that obstacle. To help them realize that Jesus is worth bypassing that obstacle or enduring even that obstacle, right? Um, So let uh, let me keep going here. I want to get into some other things. I want to come here to the four levels of decision. How many of you are aware of the four levels of decision? How many of you are not aware of it? All right. Some of you didn't raise your hand, but I'm just going to assume that you're awake and listening still. But whether you are deciding to join the Remnant Church, the Seventh-day Adventist Church, or you're at Baskin-Robbins deciding which type of ice cream to buy, you will always go through four levels of decision-making. Before you make that decision, you're going to go through four categories. Does that make sense? Okay, and we're going to talk about this. This is basic psychology, and it's very important that when we're visiting people during evangelistic meetings, during Jesus on Prophecy, or we're in Bible studies, that people we understand how people make decisions. Because not that we manipulate them, but it helps us understand where they're at and where they need to go, and et cetera, et cetera. So the very first level of decision is simply. Information. What is it? Information. Information. And in the first level, people are gathering the facts of a particular issue. Let's just suppose that I'm at the store and when I'm at the store, I usually go through the clearance section of the clothing or whatever. And often that's where I buy my clothes. I rarely pay full price for anything. Um, I, my wife just laughs because I, I don't even, When we, we own our own house now, but when we used to rent, I usually even would talk the renters down of, their, of the rent. I would never pay the rent that they asked. I always got them down. I actually made this renter's resume where I listed all the places that I have rented from, and I list the benefits of having me as a renter. We don't drink, we don't smoke, we had no pets at that time, we've never been rent uh, late on a payment, we don't party, we don't do any of these things. And people are like, "Wow, this is like the ideal renter." And I said, "Yeah, I said, "So you know, if it's worth it to you to have a very good renter, then how about coming down you know $200 dollars on the rent?" They'd be like, "Well, no one's ever asked me that before." I said, "You'd never had a good renter as good as I'll be before." And they'd think about it and they'd say, yeah, I think I can do that. I'd say, great, I'm so glad. So every place I've been, I talk the renters down. But anyway, so I never pay full price for anything. And so maybe I'm at the, I'm at the, um, you know, I'm at the store, and I see this shirt on clearance. And uh, I have to gather information about that shirt. What kind of things would I gather about it? Initially, the first thing is the price, right? Then what? What type of material is it? Because there's certain types of material that may be hot or just, I don't like. Maybe the color of the shirt. I don't wear, I don't like red because I had red hair growing up, so I don't usually wear red clothes. You know, the color, um, the size, all these things I'm gathering to determine, is it wise for me to buy this shirt or not, right? So let's just suppose that it's the right color, it's the right size, it's the right price, and all those things does that guarantee that I'm going to buy that shirt? No. no, it doesn't. It doesn't at all. And many times we think if we could just give people the information they need, if we could just give them the truth, then they'll make that decision. Right? I mean, I remember when I first became an Adventist, I, had listened, I listened to these cassette tapes of this evangelist back in 2002 was when I was baptized. And there was an evangelist from Amazing Facts that had just been at the church where I was at, and I got his cassette tapes, and I listened to them all three times. And I felt like he had such a clear and compelling presentation on the Sabbath. I thought to myself, I had this friend that I was in school with, I was in college at the time, And uh, I said to my, I I thought, I was thinking of this friend who was also a Christian, but he was a Sunday Christian. I thought, if he could just listen to this tape, there is no way in the world that he could deny this, and, and he would totally accept it and begin keeping the Sabbath. So I gave him the tape. I said, hey, I want you to listen. And he listened to it, and he said, yeah, yeah, whatever, you know. He wasn't really impressed. And I thought, man, how could someone turn away from such interesting information, right? I mean, it was mind-blowing to me. But information will never cause anyone to make a decision there. Does that make sense? People today get all kinds of information. So it's important that we don't call for a decision until adequate information can be given. Now, if you look at the Bible, you will find that there are Bible texts... For each level of decision on every topic. So I'm going to just quickly use the Sabbath. What would be an information text on the Sabbath? Just give me one. You just said it, the commandment, Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, right? It tells you when the Sabbath is, it tells you what to do, it tells you what not to do, it declares God as the Creator, it gives you lots of information, doesn't it? But we have to be careful about information overload. What would that be? It would be too much. You can't give people too much information because what happens? They they begin to shut off, right? So, and we also have to be careful of something called program non-response, where when we give them information continually, we actually never ask them for a decision. So, how do I know when it's the right time to give someone information. Well, there's a second phase that happens. Let me come. The best, let me just say this, the best way to o- avoid information overload is to number one, reveal truth how? Gradually. Don't overwhelm people with multiple topics at one time. Now, if I, I remember when I first became a Christian, I would gather students when I was in school and I would invite them over for lunch and I would give them the whole three angels message in like two hours. I mean, I would they'd be sitting on my couch and I'd start off sitting in the chair, but I'd get so excited and I'd end up standing up and before I realized, I was standing up preaching to them. And I would tell them everything. I would tell them about the Sabbath and the Antichrist, the Mark of the Beast, and all these different subjects um, while they were just sitting there trying to enjoy a spaghetti dinner. And they just had information overload. And so another way to avoid that is by clearing up questions after covering important truth. Now, the second level of decision-making is conviction. What is conviction? What is it? Well it's 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 a kind of a kind of a sense that this is the right thing to do right and i begin to feel a drawing towards what god wants me to do the decision he wants me to make and the holy spirit is working in my heart and he's making me aware that this is more than just information this is truth and there's a there's a battle that begins to take place in the heart right There's a tension that takes place because I realize that this is the right thing to do and I should do it. But then I start thinking about all these other things that are in my life that may conflict if I do do it. Does that make sense? So it's the awareness and wrestling with which decision to make. And this is only the Holy Spirit's work. And so the voice of God begins to speak to the conscience. Does that make sense? Now, I can't remember if I have the, in this one the signs of conviction. Yes, I do. Um, let me just read this first. The most important element necessary for a person to make a true decision is that of conviction. Without conviction, no one will be brought to make a decision for God. Do you realize that? If a person is not convicted, they will not choose Christ. And where does conviction come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit, but through also a combination of the Spirit revealing truth, which is found where? In the Bible. Bible. So most people will not experience conviction until they actually open and study the Bible. In most cases, you just talking to somebody is not going to bring conviction. That's why it's so important that we study the Bible with people and we invite people to evangelistic meetings because public evangelism is a great place for people to be able to be in an atmosphere where the Word of God is being preached and the Holy Spirit is working and conviction begins to take root in the heart. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, going on here, there are positive and negative Signs of conviction. Have you ever met somebody that's convicted? I'll tell you, when I, when I first became a Christian, I went to AFCO and I came back, and I was in my home church. The first sermon I had ever preached a year before I came back was probably one of the worst sermons you've ever heard. I stood up in the pulpit and I cleared my throat about every 10 to 12 seconds, like this. <coughs> And I just read that sermon and I kept thinking, man, I just want to preach like Mark Finley or Doug Batchelor without any notes. And so I looked up and I said, I'm just going to say whatever comes to my mind. And I looked up and nothing came to my mind. (laughs) And it was just total quiet and people were looking at me and I was looking at them. and, And after a couple of minutes, I just looked back down and started reading my notes again. But when I got some training and the Lord began to help me grow, I came back and I could preach in a different way then. And I remember at that particular sermon, my dad came and listened to me preach. Now my dad is not a Christian. I love him, but he does not live a Christian life. He, you know, he'll say that he tries, but he's just not, he resists God in many ways. And he was there. I remember when I, I preached on the second coming of Jesus, and I preached He's coming soon. Mm-hmm. And after that sermon, I stood in the back, shaking the hands of the people. I made an appeal, and a number of people came forward. I was praying that my dad would come forward, but he didn't. And uh, at the end of the sermon, I was shaking the hands, and my dad was pushing his way through the through the people. And when I saw him coming, I stuck out my hand, and he just pushed right past me, and ran out the door, and I followed him out the door, and he went around the side of the church, and he literally sprinted all the way down the side of the church, jumped in his truck, and left. Now, would you say my dad was convicted? Yeah. He was convicted. So there's differing forms of conviction. Some are positive. I mean, people might, there might be a, a lightning, lighting up of the face. You've probably seen people do that. They say, oh, something just clicks. There might be uh, certain questions, there might be tears, Uh, there there are positive attitude changes, they begin sharing, there's all kinds of positive indicators. Then, there are sometimes negative, now my dad had some of these, he's running away, a restlessness, a rejection, and anger, objections. There might be all these different ways of conviction. But you typically know when a person is convicted, yes or no? I mean, you can just see it. Now here's where most people, either in a visit or a, or a Bible study or whatever, here's where most people fail when it comes to visitation. When somebody has enough information, they will become what? Convicted, unless their heart is just hard as a rock, and God may have to use another means to break that up. But when, if people are open and sincere, when they begin to have enough information about a certain truth of the Bible, they will become convicted. And however that is expressed may be different ways, positive or negative. But most people, most Adventists and some pastors and preachers and others, they see that conviction and they say, oh boy, Sal's convicted. And then what do they do? Well, sometimes they don't do anything. You're right. Sometimes they just say, well, I'm just going to wait for him to tell me he was going to decide to do this. That'll never happen. But what most people do in a visit or whatever is they will think to themselves, oh, he needs more information. And so they'll say, well, Sal, you know, then they'll give him another 20 Bible verses on the Sabbath. But get, so what are they doing? They're not moving forward, they're actually doing what? They're going backwards. You understand? And so I've now piled more information upon Sal, and now he gets to where he has information overload. And what happens to conviction when you get information overload? It tends to dissipate, and they begin to reject and even sometimes resent that information. Does that make sense? So we don't want people moving backwards when they become under conviction. We want them moving forward to the third step of decision making. The third step, well let me just, um, just some helpful tips during conviction. People respond positively. Some people respond positively to conviction right away. Realize that sometimes people have negative reactions under conviction. Don't take it what? Personally. But be a friend during this time Take the time to explain to them why they're feeling this way. I've had people say to me when they come under a conviction, I feel like you're judging me. Mm. Oh no, God's judging you know. It's God that's judging them, right? And I'm just trying to lead them along. So how do we create conviction? Sharing the Bible simply, earnestly, and clearly. Asking questions. Always refer to what God is saying, not what you think or believe. This keeps their attention focused on the Word instead of yours. Use silence to let people think. Sometimes you'll ask them a question, and they'll be silent. And they might be silent for 30 seconds, and you'll have this itching feeling, I should probably say something. No, you shouldn't. When I ask people a question, I've sat there for 10 minutes in silence, waiting for somebody to respond, and eventually they do. Don't be afraid of silence when you ask those convicting questions. Show them how the Bible applies to them personally and how God is speaking to them so um the third level of decision is desire so when they're in that state of conviction we want them to move not backwards to more information but forward in desire in other words we want their desire to follow jesus to do what to increase we want that desire to increase So in the third level, this is the stage where a person sorts out their own feelings based upon the decision that they know that they have to make. So what is typically going on? They're thinking about all of the obstacles and the difficulties that they're going to face if they make that decision, right? So we need to help them see, bottom line, I would say more about this, but we're about out of time. The bottom line is we want them to see that the benefits they will gain by following Jesus are greater than the things, the potential loss of not following Him or rejecting Him, you see? So I use oftentimes what I call the minimax principle, which is where I minimize the what? The negative and maximize the Positive. positive, right? You know, just a quick example of this is... You know, somebody may, and I have other examples here, and I'll post this on the website. One example is I'll say to somebody, you know, brother, you could, you could, I know that you're getting pressure at home from your spouse about this issue about following Jesus to keep the Sabbath, or whatever. And you know, you could walk away from the truth that Jesus is revealing to you. But you know, any truth that is really truth. Comes from Christ, because Jesus said, "I'm the way, the truth, and the life." And you could walk away from this truth, but if you walk away from this truth, you're not. It's not just some concrete pillar of thing that you're walking away from. You're walking away from Jesus Himself, because He is the truth. All truth is Him. It is revealed through Him. Now, you could reject this truth. And keep the peace in your home. You can do that. And you might have peace in your house, but you'll never have peace in your heart. Until you yield to Christ. And sometimes I'll say, do you want your spouse to know Jesus and follow the things that you've learned? And they always say, well, yes, of course. And I'll say, then what do you think the best opportunity for them to know that truth is? They know the answer. It's for what? They themselves to follow that truth. Yes? So I say, brother, think about all that you gain with Jesus. (laughs) I'm maximizing the benefit. Think about all that you gain with Jesus. And Jesus is calling you today to follow Him. Now sometimes people, church members, will say, well, you're pressuring people. Well, no, I'm presenting to them the reality and the seriousness of either accepting or rejecting Jesus and the truth that he's presenting to them. And it's not, you know, I don't pressure people into a decision, but let me tell you, I'm not going to have their blood on my hands because I didn't present to them all the truth. You understand? Paul said, you know, to the, to the, to the, the church, he said, you know, far be it from me that I didn't share with you everything that Jesus gave me. I have to do that, you understand? It's still their decision. All right, going on real quickly. There are also, let me just say this, in the conviction level, level two, there are certain texts that can bring conviction to the heart. There are certain information texts, and there are certain conviction texts. Thinking of the Sabbath, we only have time. I'd love to go through several topics with you and show the different types of texts. But what would be a text for, the, say, the Sabbath that would bring conviction to the heart? People say, well, you know, I just don't really think it's that big of a deal to keep the Sabbath. Well, I, I could say, well, God thinks it is a big deal. Or I could use what? The Bible. And you just said the text that I had in mind. There are many, but there's the one. John 14:15. what? If you love me, and I'll ask them, I'll ask them to read that text for me. And what does that text do? It creates conviction because it puts there that tension. If I love Jesus, he expects a certain response from me. If I love my wife, she expects me to demonstrate that love. If I tell her I love her all day, right? but i don't do anything that i know pleases her then have i really loved her i've just spoken empty words but love always demands a response and a demonstration so that conviction comes when i use those bible verses to bring conviction now what we don't want to do is we don't we don't want to beat people over the head you know we don't uh, uh, the wrong kind of text would be if any man <laughs> In Revelation 14, if any man you know, receives the mark of the beast, he'll be tormented forever and ever. I mean, that's not the kind of text, you understand? We want the text to build conviction from relationship with Christ. You understand that? okay? Um, now, those texts have a time and place, but not in that type of thing. So what about desire? Real quickly, what would a text on desire look like? A text that would demonstrate the benefit of of following Jesus, right? It would increase that desire. Can you think of a text for the Sabbath specifically? How about Isaiah where, huh? Where he says, call the Sabbath a delight, and you do not trample it or turn your foot away from it, but if you do it, I'll, I'll cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth where there's a blessing that comes with, what about tithing, you know? If if, if you return a tithe, I'll open the windows of heaven, Malachi uh, chapter 3. And uh, you understand that principle, right? And then the last level is what? Is action. Where the person, based upon the information that they have, the conviction that they're bearing in their heart, the desire that is there for Christ, by the grace of God they make a decision. Does that make sense? So when a person has adequate information, conviction, and desire to follow Jesus, they will make the right decision. If they're lacking in one of those things, it's likely they'll make the opposite decision. Does that make sense? So in your visitation, I mean, I wish I could go through all of this stuff with you. It's very helpful. But in your visitation during Jesus on Prophecy, you keep these four categories in your mind and you ask yourself, where are they? Now, would you spare me two minutes to show you some quick questions that you can ask? All right, here are some questions that will that will help you with this. So, in your visitation, let's say I'm visiting them after a particular subject, I'll ask them, "Was that subject new to you?" So, for instance, the Sabbath was it new to you? And they may say, "Well, um, no, I had a grandmother that was um, seventh day." What? seven-day Advent, and you're thinking to yourself, "Uh uh-huh. And they'll say, I remember that she always kept it. She wouldn't work on Saturday. She always went to church, you know. Is that a good thing? Yeah. But if they say, oh, it's completely new to me. I've never heard this before in my life. In fact, I'm angry that no one ever told me. I've had people tell me that, many people. Then I'll ask them the question, was it clear from the Bible Was it clear from the Bible that the seventh day is the Sabbath? Was it clear from the Bible that God's the creator of heaven and earth, et cetera, et cetera, right? And they'll say, yes, yes, it was clear. And that tells me that they have enough what? Information. Information. If it was clear and they understand it, they may say, well, no, you know, most of it was clear. But I had this one question about this one text, Colossians 2. It says, let no man judge you in new moon or Sabbath. And I'm not, I don't understand that. Then what do I do? Well, let's take a look at that from the Bible. Let's answer that. Let's see what the Bible says, right? Then I'll answer up those questions. Is it clear now once we've answered that question? Then thirdly, have you considered or begun thinking about keeping the Sabbath, being baptized, becoming a part of God's end time, whatever the subject is, right? What does that tell me? And and this question comes, it it tells me if, if they're beginning to sense the Spirit of God moving them, right? So these two questions go together. Do you sense God calling you to make that decision? They may, if you say, have you sensed God calling you to keep the Sabbath? They may say, yeah. Yeah, I've thought about it. Oh, oh, well, good, right? Then I say, do you sense God calling you to make the decision in your life to follow that truth? Now, I've had people say to me, They went like this and they went, no, not really. That means they're not what? So they may need a little more. Or they may need a text that will bring conviction. If it was clear to them, yeah, it made sense to me, then what they need is what? Conviction. So I need a text that's going to bring the conviction. So I may take them to John 14, 15. Hey, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. And you know, Mary, Bill, I, I don't have any doubts that you love Jesus. You love Jesus, don't you? What does Jesus say that if we love him, we should do? Should keep his commandments. Bill and Mary, do you understand that love expects a response? So if you were to refuse God in keeping His commandments, what would that demonstrate to Him? What's the answer? <laughs> that we don't, maybe we don't have a love for Him like we thought. Would you like to tell Jesus today, would you like to make a decision that you would honor Him and demonstrate that love for Him, right? So I'll ask them the last question, number five, is there anything preventing you from making that decision? And that lets me know if there is a want. They may say, oh, well, you know, I have a work problem or I have this problem. You know, I've talked to my wife about this and she just does not want me to do that. It's going to ruin our Saturday afternoon, you know, going out to eat with our friends or whatever. And then we can work through those things. But do you see how those questions will help people understand, right? All right, well, we've got to close here. But uh, just remember that whenever you're doing the visitation, these four levels. I'm going to post the rest of this online and you can uh, have those and look through those slides. But there's a wonderful book that I want to encourage you to get and maybe I'll just, I have a PDF copy, I'll post it on the website as well. It's called Persuasion by Mark Finley. And all of these principles are there in that book. Um, These are not things that I discovered. I've learned them from other people but I found them to be very effective In doing that visitation. We have to be very gentle with people, not pushing them too hard, but not being afraid to lead them along in that decision-making process, okay? All right, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this opportunity. We ask your Holy Spirit to be with us as we continue to labor and move forward with Jesus on prophecy. May you help us, Lord, help others to find you. As they are reaching out into the dark, as they are looking for hope and answers to life, we just pray that Your Spirit would uh, move them towards You. And we know that all these things can only be done in the might of Your strength. So we pray Your grace and Your wisdom and Your Spirit to guide us in every step. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more.